It's, it's Bacon Sunday, and you might have seen on Instagram or on Facebook or on a newsletter this week that we're talking about. We're, we're, we're having, celebrating the goodness of bacon, but it's not just because bacon is awesome. I want to put that seed in your mind and have you kind of think on it for a little bit um, because it, it actually is something that I believe that can be a, a memory marker for us as we move forward with our own lives. But I want to start like this. Have you ever received an invitation to something? Like you went to your mailbox and you pulled it out and there it was. Lordy, Lordy, Bubba's 40, come celebrate. Like whatever, you know, and, or pretty in pink and we're celebrating the little girl. And it's, it's a baby shower. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, invitations is not an invitation at all. And I think it's favorite because it's kind of funny. You ever received a graduation announcement? from somebody? Yeah, I want to just say what we all know, which is that it's actually not really an invitation to come to the graduation. Like, this is a way of me sending you a letter that's saying, I want you to know I'm graduating, and I only have four tickets, so you can't come, but you are cordially invited to send me $50, right? That's what a graduation announcement is really about, and so uh, if you know any seniors this year, hook them up. Um, but invitations feel good, because the thing is, I don't go to everything I get invited to, Right? And you probably don't either. There's birthday parties you can't make. There's weddings you just can't get to. There's friends that live far away and they invite you to a thing. What do they invite you? Well, they, they want you to know that you care. They, they care. They want, they want you to know that you want, that they want you to be there. It feels good to be invited. It feels good to be included. Now, I hope that you've experienced that. I really do. If not, uh, you're all invited to um, stick around while I finish talking. There, and now you've been invited to something. Maybe, maybe you've been on the other side of that conversation. Have you ever uh, been, I don't know, at the break room at work, and, and all the guys are talking about this thing they all did this weekend. It was so cool. Who was there? Did you see the, ah, come out? And then they all look at you, and you're kind of like, I, I don't remember that, guys. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, we didn't invite Bill. <laughs> I mean, we tried to invite you, but I think, I lost your number. Can I get your number? Right? They, they totally left you out. Because it, it doesn't feel good to be excluded, does it? You don't want to be left out. You want to at least have the, the right to refuse the invitation. But you don't want to not be invited. Today we're in week six of this teaching series through the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament of the Bible, which is that last third of a Bible. Uh, if you've got a Bible, would you open it up and turn to the book of Acts? We've got some free ones that we give away if you need one. They're kind of scattered under your seats there. And if you don't have a Bible today, that's cool. The, the, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. But we've been in the book of Acts, and our goal has been to study this in about eight weeks and look at what happens there. The story in the book of Acts is essentially the story of the beginning of the church and how God used it to spark a movement that changed the world. And so we've been in it for about five weeks now. This is the sixth week. And as we've been studying through this book, um, I don't know if you've noticed this. I've mentioned it kind of on the side a few times. But there's only one specific group of people who have been involved. The message of the church is God sent Jesus to the world. Jesus died to cover our sins, but he rose from the dead, and in his resurrection, he can give us a chance at new life. And it might be, if this is your first time here, or first time back in a church, or maybe you're just checking in a church for the first time today, that that whole idea of someone raising from the dead is something you got questions about. I want you to know our church is a safe place to stick around with your questions. So that's, that's totally cool. But that's the message of the first half of the book of Acts. But as it's been spread, only one particular group of people have been hearing it. Do you remember what that group of people were? Who were they? They were all Jewish people. Yeah, because the Jewish nation was where Jesus came out of. And there's kind of a reason for that. We're going to get that in a minute. But up until Acts chapter like 9, no people outside of the Jewish nation had ever heard about Jesus. 
So I'm just going to do a quick little straw poll in here just to see. Uh, I'll let you know my hand's up. Uh, how many of you in the room today would say that as far as you know, you don't really have any Jewish ancestry or heritage in, in your bloodline? Does anybody know that that's probably true for them? That's a lot of it. I, my guess is the majority of us. Yeah, me too. And so let me just kind of clue you in. Uh, if you are living in this time period up till Acts chapter 9, you haven't been told about Jesus yet. You're not going to church. Your family hasn't heard anything about it. And that's the majority of the world. It doesn't feel cool to be excluded, doesn't it? But when we get into Acts chapter 10, all of that changes. A whole new thing happens, and I believe that it may be one of the most important moments in all of human history. Throughout our series, we've had a, a, a focus word to kind of draw our attention to the big idea for the week. And this week, our focus word is inclusion. Inclusion. Inclusion is the idea that you're being uh, brought into a group or an organization and you're being uh, counted among their number. Inclusion. And in Acts chapter 10, what we see is inclusion of someone who is not a Jew. And so I've kind of set that up. I want you to open your Bibles, Acts chapter 10, and see where we go. We're going to look at Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 1. And let's jump into the story. We're going to meet some new characters. It says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. All right, we'll stop there. I'll do a quick little history lesson. Um, first, it says at Caesarea. Okay, so I've got a map. I'm going to pop this map up here. Caesarea is a city. You see down here, this is, uh, this is Jerusalem down here, and about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem is Caesarea, a good little walk. What's, what's interesting is this story is taking place up there in Caesarea. Uh, still a city you can visit today. You've got a lot of ancient cool things you can look at. But the, the, the core of Christianity is beginning to spread, and it's all the way over there. Last week we were in Damascus, which is on this side. And so you're really beginning to spread. So we're in Caesarea, and we meet this guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion. And the thing that we know about centurions, if you look at a Roman history and the Roman Empire, uh, the, the entire Roman Empire was built on the backs of men like Cornelius. He was a centurion. It was the highest rank you could uh, get to in the military if you were a commoner. There were higher ranks, but you had to be of noble birth. And so as someone who was a centurion, it's pretty good to assume that he was a well-respected and honored man because of the fact he probably rose from nothing into a place of prosperity. Uh, this, this city, uh, Caesarea, was the seat of Roman government in this region. And so that's verse 1. That just kind of gives you the setting of where we are. One thing that you need to know about Cornelius, though, is that he was not a Jew. But by some course of events, he had come to faith in the God of the Jews. And we find that out in verse 2. So look, let's just kind of keep reading and let the story tell itself. In verse 2 it says, He, Cornelius, and all his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those who were in need, and he prayed to God regularly. And one day... About three in the afternoon, he had a vision, kind of a dream. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him, and he said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? And he asked, when the angel said, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa, which is another city, to bring back a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Now, let me just kind of put ourselves in that situation. I could be wrong about Cornelius here, but my guess is this is the first time an angel has ever appeared to him and spoken to you. How often have you had an angel appear? Like in your living room, you're like, I was watching ESPN, but hold on, there's an angel. And so there's this moment. I don't know how Cornelius reacted. I don't know if, he, if he's freaking out or if he's like this totally stoic soldier guy. I'm guessing on the inside, he's just like, 
oh my goodness, what is happening? That's the reaction we see from every other person in the Bible who encounters an angel. Uh, Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't give us those details. But in verse 5, we meet an old friend. So he says, Cornelius, I want you to go down to the city of Joppa, which we're going to talk about in a second. But he says, I want you to go down and I want you to get this guy. His name is Simon, also called Peter. Now, Peter is one of the biggest players in the, in the New Testament. He's somebody that we've already talked about several times. He was the leader of the disciples who were Jesus' best friends. He was, uh, when we find him in Acts chapter 2, do you remember the week helper? That was our focus word for week 2 if you were here. Uh, and he was the guy who preached this sermon where God's Holy Spirit comes and, and it's kind of the inauguration of the church. That's Peter. He's the mouthpiece of the early church. Uh, we see him in the next couple of chapters in our next week. Do you remember the next week when they went to jail? Remember what was their focus word? Anybody? Oh, there's one before that, but it was persecution. Boldness, yeah, it was persecution was part of their boldness. Uh, but boldness, and that was Peter and John. So this is Peter. Now, Peter has since moved on from Jerusalem, and he's all the way in Joppa because he's doing some ministry there. Remember the circle, the ripple is spreading out. Let's check out this map because I want to show you the correlation between Joppa and Caesarea just so you can kind of get some real-life picture on it. Uh, Joppa is in what is modern-day Tel Aviv right here on the Mediterranean Sea, again, a little bit uh, west of Jerusalem. About a 30-mile walk to Caesarea, about a two-day walk. Um, And so I want you to see the distance because while Cornelius' men are about to head down and go see Peter in Joppa, some other things happen. Let's just pick up at verse 7. We'll see where the story goes. So when the angel who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, And he sent them to Joppa, the city that we just looked at. So like I said, it's about a two-day walk, about 30 miles. And we pick up at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went to the roof to pray. Not that weird. The roofs were very often set up like a porch, and it just was a cooler place in the house when it was a hot day. So he goes up on the roof, and he goes to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened up. And something like a large sheet, picture a big canvas or a bed sheet, okay? This sheet is being lowered down by its four corners, and in the sheet, kind of like in a hammock style, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice comes to Peter, and it says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. This is a weird dream, okay, like he's a, like, it's one of the dreams you had, like when you had too much Chinese food, you know, and you're just like, get up and kill and eat his sheets, and so what's happening is, is there's something going on here that as a Jew, Peter immediately would have been responsive to, uh, you, you probably are aware, and if you're not, I'll just kind of explain it real quick, you know, the Jewish religion has some pretty strict dietary laws, uh, kosher law, and so maybe you've been to the grocery store, and you've seen, like, like this, You've seen some pickles, and on it it says kosher. There's kosher hot dogs, which are the best. Uh, You've got, like, kosher salt. And kosher uh, is not a flavor. It's not a seasoning. Uh, You're like, I love the kosher deals. I want some kosher on my cheeseburger. Um, Doesn't work that way. What kosher means is that according to Jewish dietary law, you can have it. Kosher means cool. And that's actually why in our modern vocabulary, you might say if something's okay with you, you say, that's kosher. It's cool. Has anybody ever say that, or am I just weird? Um, so uh, it's kosher. But if something was not kosher, you weren't allowed to eat it. It made you ceremonially unclean. You weren't allowed to participate in other uh, Jewish religious festivities, and, and you, you, had, you, had, you had sinned. There were certain items that were off limits, including these items that were in the sheet that came down. And one of the most uh, famous and uh, well-known items are pig products, things like ham and bacon. Can you imagine a world with no bacon? Yeah, 
Now, this is extremely symbolic. And while you're still tasting salty bacon in your mouth, and I have a, hold on, where's mine? I just got to, I didn't get it in there. Okay. I'm good. Peter sees this vision. God tells him, get up, kill and eat. Now he thinks, surely this is a test. Peter has seen some weird things in his life. Peter was one of the guys who saw Jesus walk on water. He's seen people raised from the dead, particularly Jesus raised from the dead from his own power. He's seen blind people receive their vision. He's seen lame people be able to walk, okay? Peter's seen some really weird things. And I just wonder sometimes, these guys in the Bible who got to experience God's supernaturalness so often, I wonder, did it become commonplace for them? Like, yeah, I've seen, I've seen miracles. Or, or do you think every single time they were like, wow, but... He sees this vision. He's thinking, this is a test. I'm surely going to pass God's test. But it wasn't a test. It was a lesson. Let's watch as the, the lesson plays out. In verse 15, and the voice speaks to him a second time. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And then this happened three times. And then the sheet was taken back to heaven. That was part one of God's lesson for Peter. Now, as we look at that, we're like, but what does it mean? And I've had a lot of moments in my life where I'm like, I'm pretty sure God's trying to teach me something right now. But if you could send me like a memo, like maybe an email, like this is why you're going through this. Like I would love that because that would help to clarify. And I wonder if Peter is going through this. This is part one of God's lesson for him. But as the story plays forward, this is incidentally also when God created caller ID. What happens is while Peter is having this vision, God's part two of his lesson is walking up Peter's sidewalk and about to ring the doorbell. Look at verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the, P, the, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Wow, bizarre. I've had this dream and all of a sudden these people show up at my house. Okay, where are we going? Let's go. So they leave. Verse 25. The story starts to come together as the lesson is taught and the pieces start to click in place. Verse 25. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. I love this clash of cultures right here. It's that thing. There's a miscommunication. It's kind of like um, you ever going in to like give somebody a high five and they go for the fist bump, but you end up with the ball and socket. It's like, oh, sorry. Like there's this miscommunication. And I think that what's happening right here is something that happens often with God and in church. I think sometimes we walk into a, a place of worship or a time of spiritual you know, encounter or whatever. And we don't really know how to act. Like, what do I wear? Do I wear a tie? Or am I supposed to wear certain shoes? Like, are there certain ceremonies that I go to? And if you've been to very many church services, you understand that's something that sometimes can be difficult. So as Cornelius, this Gentile man who wasn't a Jew and probably wasn't very well accepted by the Jewish people who might have lived around him, encounters this man, Peter, who is, as far as he know, a guy that God just sent to his house. <laughs> he bows down because he's a soldier. And that's the traditional way they would greet their superior officer. Peter, who's raised as a Jew, is like, oh, we don't ever bow down to anybody. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Like, you don't do that. Get up. So in this clash of culture, it's cool how God has some grace in there. And Peter's like, listen, I am only a man in verse 27. So while talking with Peter, they went inside and they found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. 
A Gentile is someone who's not a Jew, anybody that's not a Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Things have become clear to Peter. Like just like God was telling him as the sheet came down that these foods that were at one point unclean for you to eat, this is a symbolic thing, Peter. Something's about to change. There was something that you felt like was unclean or impure, and I'm telling you, it's not. Go to Caesarea. Meet Cornelius. And the pieces click. And part two of the lesson comes into focus. And Peter says, I got you, God. Bacon's been invited to the party. (laughs) I want to tell these guys about Jesus. And so as he's standing there, it's like the Holy Spirit kind of nudges him. And he's like, all right, Peter, you've been waiting for this. Go. Tell them. Tell them what you know. No day, no more was this a day of exclusion. See, in the past, it would have been like this Jewish guy walks into a Gentile's house, and he'd have been like, oh, I'm sorry, i got to leave. We'll talk about that in a second. But instead, it was a day of inclusion. You're invited. Come to the party. God's got a message for you. Let's just see how it plays out. We're going to go ahead to verse 34. So Peter, like he tends to do, began to speak. He does a lot of speaking. He said, now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So then he spends six more verses talking about who Jesus was and everything that has happened, and he kind of summarizes, I guess, almost the book of Acts up to this point. And then in verse 42, he continues. In verse 42, it says about Jesus, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, there are moments in history that are definitive. Like some of you are in a generation where you remember exactly where you were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah, see if you you nod your head. Like, I know exactly where I was. Like, I was in class, or I was with my friend, or I remember I was with my mom, or whatever. I got, and I looked, and I saw, ah, and you realize that's definitive. Like, the world is different right now. Some of you in that same generation, you remember the moon landing, right? You're like, ah, we won. (laughs) We beat everyone. Now we have a flag up there. Cool. It's amazing. Now, for a younger generation, you might remember the events of 9-11. Where were you? What were you doing? Who were you with? Almost everybody that I've ever met knew somebody who was possibly somewhere close, right? We were terrified as a nation. It was a definitive moment where history changed, where something was rewritten, and the way we viewed the world was different. And so there are moments like that that are like big. Then there are moments like that that are just for your life. It might have been the moment that you met your future spouse. It might have been the moment that your child was born, the moment that you received that diploma or got that job. It was like, this is a moment that changed everything for me, right? The moment in the sentence that we're about to read in the book of Acts, I believe is, except for Jesus raising from the dead, possibly the most definitive moment in all of history. It's a heavy statement. But what's about to happen is something that's going to absolutely revolutionize and change the world. It happens in verse 44. Let's read it together. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit, that's God's Spirit interacting with human people, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, the Jews who had come with Peter, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. In verse 47, 
Peter said, Surely no one can stand in their way of these people being baptized with water, for they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And that was the day the world changed. That was the day that the other nations were included and invited to the party. I don't think as modern people we can fully appreciate the implications of what just happened. So what I want to do is kind of connect the dots for those of us, especially those without Jewish heritage. If you flip back the pages of your Bible and you went all the way back to the book of Genesis, which if you want to, you can look back in Genesis chapter 12, the first book of the Bible, you're going to see uh, what happens to be the blueprint of God's plan for sharing his love with the world. And we see it happening in Genesis chapter 12. We meet this guy named Abraham. Abraham is to become the father of all Jewish people. He was just a guy with a wife. They didn't have any kids, but they did have a lot of faith. At least Abraham did. And so he comes and God says, listen, based on just your faith, I am going to establish a nation. I'm going to give you a son. Of course, Abraham's like, um, I'm like 80 years old. Not sure that's happening. And my wife is very old. I'm not sure this is happening. But God says, I promise you, something's going to happen. And, and Abraham's like, all right, I have faith in you. I'll do what you say. You can, read, you can read this story of Abraham on your own another time if you don't know it. But it's, it's a powerful story of this man who says, I'm going to trust God. Then in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God makes Abraham a promise. He says this, I will make you into a great nation. Remember, he's talking to an old man with no kids. <laughs> I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people of the earth will be blessed through you. Oh, don't say that last sentence again. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And my guess is that as Abraham is telling him that all people on the earth are going to be blessed through him, that Abraham's like, okay. Like, well, I don't even have a clue what that means. I'm just a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. How in the world could the whole world be blessed by me? But God stayed faithful to Abraham. And Abraham stayed faithful to God. And God promised Abraham a child. And in his old age, he and his wife had a son. They named him Isaac. And then that son grew up. And he had children of his own. Now what happens is the Old Testament ensues. This guy, Abraham, his family begins to grow. And the stories of the Old Testament are essentially the stories of that family. And so what we see is this family that grows from a couple dozen to a couple hundred to thousands and eventually millions. And we see leaders rise up among them with names like Moses and Joshua and Samuel. Eventually this great nation of millions of people becomes a kingdom and they have a king. They got kings with names like David and Solomon and Hezekiah. And this nation is blessed by God and they continue to prosper now, as they grow, they've got priests and prophets and faithful people who are constantly reminding them of the promise that God made to Abraham. And they're saying, listen, God has made promises to our people. So we've got to be pure. We've got to be uh, clean. And we've got to stay away from anything from the outside that would keep us from becoming tainted. So this is where the division between the Jews and the Gentiles begin. Because they were forbidden to associate with people from outside of their faith. Not because God wanted them to be racist. Not because he endorses hate. Because neither one of those things are true. But simply because those people worshiped other gods. They worshiped idols. Many of them worshiped demons. And so God says, listen, if you spend too much time with them, they're going to influence you. They're going to pull you away from me. You're going to start to marry their daughters. You're going to start to marry their husbands. And before you know it, you're going to lose your faith. And so as that uh, separation continued, there's this gap that grows between the Jews and the nations who are not the Jews. In the meantime, the rest of the world becomes excluded 
from what God, God is doing on the world. Now, as this progresses, everyone continues to return to the promise that God said, one day I will bless all nations through you. I need to mention this. The Jews weren't perfect. In fact, really, if I was to summarize the Old Testament, it would be like the story of how not to do life. Because over and over and over and over, they forget the promise of God. But you know something about God? God is good. God always preserved a remnant. He always kept a few people who had their focus. So that when the time came, he could come into the world as Jesus. All nations will be blessed. You know, we talked about this last week. Do you remember uh, when, when you talk about uh, kind of the language the Jews spoke? They had a word that we say now for what they meant for all nations. Do you remember what they called those people? The Gentiles. Gentiles translated as the nations. Isn't it cool that in the very beginnings of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God makes a promise to Abraham, and basically what he says is, I'm going to bless you, and eventually all nations, even the Gentiles, will be blessed through you. In chapter 2 of Acts, we see God's Holy Spirit come on the Jews. But in chapter 10, God opens the doors, and he says, everybody else, come in. I love you. I want you. If you'll have me. And to the Jewish nation, he says, Do not call anything unclean that I've called clean. It's inclusion. It's why Jesus came in the first place to invite the whole world to the promise that God made to Abraham. I want to I connect one more dot for you. You remember last week we met a guy named Paul? Paul was a guy who was persecuting the church. He was out literally dragging Christians out of their houses and making them deny their faith. And, and he, was, he was executing them for their faith. It was a terrible, terrible thing. He was a terrorist. But God comes to him and shows him Jesus, and it changes his life. And Paul becomes the greatest Christian missionary to ever live. Paul, as someone who was a Jew, who understood who Jesus was, he knows this whole thing about Abraham's promise better than anybody. He writes about it over and over and over. And I don't think he could have said it more concisely than he says it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, as he wrote this letter. Let's just read that together because this kind of summarizes everything. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says, In Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized in the Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God made a promise to Abraham. You know, it took thousands of years for it to come to fruition. But in chapter 10 of Acts, we see the moment where everything changed. A definitive moment in history where God says, the invitation has been sent to the entire world. I want you to know about inclusion. I want you to know that I love you. And I gave my life for you. And I can change your life if you will just have me. That's the story of Cornelius. That's Acts chapter 10. And when you read the Bible, it's, you know... A lot of times I read it and I'm like, that's an interesting story. Close the book, put it back in my bag, put it back on the shelf. But I think one of the most important things we can do is just ask this question. What does that mean to me? 
Like, this is a really cool story, but what does that mean to me? Should I walk away from this story different? Should I change? Should I be something from now on? I think that one way that we can look at this story is, is to see what it brings to light about inclusion. I've got three things. If you take notes, you can jot them down. Uh, but three things that I think can be, no matter where you are in your walk of faith, it might be that you're really far along and you've been like living for God and following Jesus for a long, long time. It might be that this is literally your first time in church ever. And you came here just because somebody invited you or because you saw there was bacon. I don't know. And you're just here. It might be that you're somewhere in the middle. You're kind of on the fence. You're trying to decide what to do with God. But I think there's some message for all three of us in that group from this story. What does inclusion teach us? I think the first thing inclusion teaches us is that God is faithful. God is faithful. Inclusion teaches us that God is faithful. See, God promised that he would bless all nations through Abraham. It took a long time for it to get there. Like it took thousands of years. Actually, the story that happened in Abraham, uh, with Abraham and all the way to Cornelius, was, was a, almost 4,000 years separated. But you know what? Sometimes good things take a while to develop. Because God was trying to build a track record that we could base our faith on. For Abraham to take this big step out on faith in God and like not even knowing from the past if I can even trust God, that was a huge step of faith. But for people nowadays to be able to look at people in your community, in your life, maybe people in your family, and all the way back to the story of Abraham, thousands of years now, to look back at that track record and go that God is faithful. And the fact that God keeps this promise to Abraham thousands of years later, it teaches us that. God is faithful. What is inclusion about? Inclusion reminds us that God is faithful. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe you're feeling beat up and beat down. Maybe you're someone who's tried to trust in God, but you're just in this place like, oh, I don't know where you are in this right now, God. But the more you know about the story of inclusion, the more you can at least find some faith in the fact that God has always been faithful. And over and over in the Bible, we learn that if we trust in God, he will never leave us or forsake us. He won't let us down. He's not going to leave us hanging. God is faithful. The second thing I think we can learn from inclusion, inclusion means this. It means that God is for you. Not only is God faithful, but God is for you. You may have experienced uh, faith in Christianity and church kind of like this, and I have. And I've met church people who have, when I've done bad things or I've been maybe made a mistake or not been what they felt like I should be, I felt like maybe God was against me. I felt like maybe someone was out to get me, like it was their biggest goal to make me feel like, uh, you know, you just don't deserve to be alive. I didn't feel like anybody was for me in those times. Maybe you've been in times where you're just like, your life is crazy right now. And you're like, how can there be a God if life is happening like this? And I understand. I've had times in my family where I'm just like, what is going on, God? What, what are you doing? I wish I could understand where you're going. And sometimes we just can't see God's big picture. In fact, I would go as far as to say as we could never see God's big picture. But what we need to know is, even though sometimes people are against us, and sometimes our circumstances are against us, God is never against you. God is for you. God loves you, and he wants more than anything else to be in your life. You might be one of those people that are just kind of on the fence about what I want to do with this God thing, how far do I really want to take it. And maybe the thing you need to hear today is that God's for you, and he's patient, and he wants you to learn. 
So just keep taking those steps wherever you are. I got to share, I mentioned it at the very beginning, and it'll actually be something in our announcements later, but um, we're starting a teaching series on Easter Sunday called God for the Rest of Us. It's a great book called God for the Rest of Us that you can pick up at any Christian bookstore or online. Um, But the whole idea is this. When you look at, uh, a lot of times when you look at church and when you look at Christianity, it feels like maybe God is for the people who have it put together. God is for the people who have like the perfect family and their marriage is good and everybody smiles all the time and you got in like a lot of hairspray. And like, that's that's, that's a picture about who God is. God is for those people. God is for the put together. God is for the perfect. But that couldn't be further from the truth. God is actually for the rest of us. God is for the broken. God is for the, 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 the mistreated. God is for the dysfunctional family. God is for the divorce. God is for the person with the addiction. God is for you. Inclusion teaches us that. Because as he opened the door and gave the invitation... He said, I'm for you. If you'll have me, please come in. So inclusion teaches us that God is faithful. And it teaches us that God is for us. And the last thing is this, that I I draw from it at least. The third thing is that inclusion means that you've been invited. You've been included. I think sometimes we, we look at the message of God and we see it as something that's over there and it's for them. Even me. I mean, a lot of times I look at what other people are doing. I'm like, man, if only I could be invited into something that cool. (laughs) Like maybe you see what other churches are doing or maybe you see what's happening in other people's lives. You're like, if only I could have that kind of life going on. And the thing is, this thing about inclusion is is all about saying, God saying, I am inviting you, not just them. Yes, them, but also you. And so maybe that message is just right now hitting your mailbox. Like you kind of opened your mail today and you're hearing this coming out of my mouth and you're like, oh, me too? Even me? Do you know what I've done? I don't, I don't have to, but God does. And he's still inviting you. Or maybe the, the message has hit your inbox a little while ago, but you kind of thought it was junk mail. Like I got a friend who tells a story about junk mail, but basically he says that, you know, uh, he gets his mail. And, and like a lot of us, you get your mail and you kind of sort it like this matters, this doesn't. And this is the stuff that I might look at later, right? And so the, the matter stuff for us goes on the kitchen table and then we, we pay the bills or we get the letters or whatever. And then there's this other stuff. And for my friend, he said it always went in the fruit bowl. Like they had a little table by their door and there's this big giant fruit bowl. So they come in, sort the mail, throw the junk mail in the fruit bowl. But what, in, what inevitably happens with that pile of unread mail? Inevitably it piles up to this high, right? And then what do you do with it? You just throw the whole stack away. You're like, man, I ain't got time to look through that. I don't even need no more coupons. Like I'm good on magazine subscriptions. I don't need anything else. And so you throw that whole thing away. Maybe the invitation, the idea that God has included you, maybe that came in your inbox, maybe you looked at it, you heard it, you were a kid when you heard it, or you were a younger adult and you heard this message, and you kind of sorted it into the fruit bowl. I might want to look at this later. Can I invite you to dig that thing back out? Because the invitation's for you, and it's still there. You've been invited to the party, and God wants you to accept his invitation It's a legitimate invitation. You've been included. Why? Because God is faithful. And God is for you. And you've been included. If you'd like to accept that invitation for the first time today, you please come talk to me. You don't have to walk up. We don't do that here. The Bible doesn't say you have to, so we don't. You can come talk to me and say, listen, I I want to to become a Christian. Like, can we do that? We, We baptized Jake Dalton in the freezing cold ocean last week. If you want to talk about what it means to become a Christian and, and, and give your life to Jesus and be baptized, maybe you've been on the fence for a little while and today is your day, the invitation is there. But talk to somebody about it. Most importantly, talk to God about it.
I accept. Imagine a world without bacon. From now on, when you eat a piece of bacon, I hope it's often, because I hope you have a good life. And if you happen to be a vegan this morning, I'm sorry. We don't do this every week, and I still love you. But when you see bacon, maybe to remind you, I've been invited. Inclusion. Let's pray. God, we love you, and you're good. And uh, I just thank you for stories of people in the Bible uh, who got to accept your love. I thank you for Cornelius' story. It's just such a pivotal moment in history when, you know, uh, your love stretched beyond, stretched beyond the boundaries of just the Jewish people and became something that was more inclusive. Lord, I pray that like the Jewish people, that we will learn to keep ourselves away from the things that will pull us away from you. But they will never let that be something that keeps us from inviting somebody else to the party. I pray for our church family right now as we are in a season of uh, we're getting close to Easter, which is just the biggest celebration ever of your, your resurrection and your life. But I pray that there's someone in our life that maybe that's been on the fence that we could invite, that we could let them know God's included you. I pray for anyone in this room right now who needs to feel that and know that, that you'll move in their life and show them where you are. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.